This is The Sidebar by the New York Association of Black Journalists. In this episode, we look back to May's Beauty of Fashion panel, moderated by Jamee Johnson, activist and founder of the award-winning online publication, The Blonde Misfit, who led an in-depth discussion on navigating the world of fashion journalism. Hi, everyone. Look, we got to liven up, you guys. It's Cinco de Mayo. It's Black Girl Magic up in here. I am Jamee, and I am so, so excited to moderate tonight's panel. Before we hop into this conversation, I want to go on and shout out all of the amazing speakers on tonight's panel so that if you're not following them, honey, what are you doing? Go on and get your life together, okay? So we're going to be talking to Caitlin Wells, Sherelle Starr, Marjon Carlos, and also Chelsea Hall. So Caitlin, Caitlin writes about Pets and Style for Wirecutter, a leading product review site owned by the New York Times. She has reviewed top, received, I'm sorry, top awards from the Cat Writers Association and the Dog Writers Association of America, as well as a publisher's award from the Times for her ambitious efforts driving innovation and impact across the company. Caitlin, I have three mini schnauzers upstairs, so we're going to have to talk. <laughs> Sherelle is a storyteller passionately working across all mediums. She is a host and contributor for various broadcasts and digital media outlets, including NBC New York Live, AKC.TV, Fox Good Day New York, and Second Look TV, among others. Across the web, she covers technology, business, fashion, beauty, and culture with features in Business News Daily, Tom's IT Pro, Sister to Sister, Ehow, Vine Pair, and Madame Noir. Hey, Sherelle. Hey, Mark- ladies. Marjan Carlos is auntie, okay? She is a journalist, an editor, and a host of the quarantine breakout hit IGTV talk show, Your Favorite Auntie. The former Vogue senior fashion writer explores the intersection of style and culture in her work, an outgrowth of her academic research in gender and African-American studies at Brown and Columbia Universities. As an accomplished freelance features writer, she's interviewed the likes of Cardi B, FKA Twigs, Precious Lee, Mary J. Blige, and Jeremy L. Harris for the covers of L.I.D., Cultured, and Sweeted Magazine. Her additional writing has also appeared from the pages of Vogue, L, Vanity Fair, Essence, and more. What up, Marjan? <laughs> and last, but certainly not least, Chelsea is a journalist, an editor, and a content creator living and working in New York. She is a broadcast journalism graduate of Florida A&M University and also a Master of Business Administration graduate of Central Michigan University. She has previously worked at Harper's Bazaar, Women's Wear Daily, InStyle, and Marie Claire. Hey, Chelsea. Hi. So, Caitlin, I actually want to start with you because you write for Wirecutter, which is a part of the New York Times. And so you work for a very specific brand in, that ladders up into a much bigger and broader organization. I want to know what steps did you take to get to your current position? Like, walk us through beginning to Wirecutter. Well, beginning to Wirecutter might take some time, um, <laughs> but I would definitely say my career was nonlinear and it's had its twists and turns. Prior to joining Wirecutter, I worked in the nonprofit sector. I also freelanced. So I had my nine to five and I also had my five to nine roles. For, for me, it's not a side hustle. It's, it's literally another job. So that's why I call it my nine to five and five to nine. Um, I had a journalism background um, going into my nonprofit work, but we were in a recession. So I got back into nonprofit stuff. But I basically started to realize that I wanted to return to journalism full time. 
So I amped up freelancing to kind of bolster my, my portfolio so I could be a stronger applicant for full-time roles. When it came to this position at Wirecutter, I already had a strong tech and service journalism background, which is like how is Wirecutter's bread and butter. That's how they got started. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't easy in for me that way, but I really expressed my passion during the application process. I, I'm their inaugural pets writer, and it's a new thing they've never ventured into before. So I like I really specifically tailored my application to the role, and it was basically a pet theme of everything that I was highlighting. Mm-hmm. So for anyone looking to break into a new beat, I think freelancing can be really beneficial as you can as can leveraging your, your network to help open those doors for you. And I just wanna say for everyone who's attending this session tonight, please consider me as part of your network now. So feel free to reach out if you have any questions about freelancing or what it's like at Wirecutter or you know, if we have any open roles, I'm happy to connect. I love that, Caitlin. I mean, first of all, you brought up such an amazing point about uh, you know, amping up your freelancing and really using that as your portfolio. I know oftentimes when I talk to people who are just graduating, you know, either from J school or just even just graduating from a, a traditional university or college, a lot of people don't know how to kind of get their foot in the doors. And I'm like, well, you can actually create your own bylines. You can start a website, you can use your social media platforms. And obviously you can always freelance, especially for lesser known publications. Getting those bylines are such a great way to be able to present those things to future employers. And so it is so wonderful to know that that has worked for you. And then also another thing that I thought was amazing is you talking about tailoring that resume tailoring that resume it is so important for every job you apply for it's not just a one and go right and do you think that you tailoring your resume specifically with a pet theme was what sort of stood you out amongst other applicants it, it really is about that unfortunately especially the, the cover letter like it's it's a dreaded thing where you have to personalize it every go but mm-hmm. that's that's the nature of the work that we do so for for me um specifically as part of my cover letter, uh, I also had to submit a writing sample and it was like, tell us about a great purchase you made. I literally used my dog that I had just adopted a few months previously. This was the best purchase I made and why. Uh, and they loved it and it it worked out, I guess. Oh my gosh. I want to read that cover letter now. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. So Sherelle, you, a lot of people learned about your story through the Humans of New York Instagram page. First of all, if you guys do not know what Humans of New York is, you need to check it out on Instagram, okay? You will learn and meet so many interesting, unique, innovative people throughout the world. But you had already been doing a lot of work even before Humans of New York found you. You're a contributor for all these different local news stations and you've really made your voice and your presence known in media. How did that happen? Like, how did you actually get your foot in the door and establish yourself as that person who local news stations now turn to? Yeah, so so the way I got into uh, media and in sort of being able to contribute to uh, local outlets and then obviously be on TV as a correspondent um, was was really I had started out at, as a blogger. Um, I really love fashion. I really love beauty. I love technology. So I just started writing about the things that I loved. Um, and then, uh, you know, a couple of outlets started reaching out to me to talk about 
the things I was covering on my blog on their TV show and, um, you know, on their new show. And I discovered that I actually liked that more than doing the blogging, uh, actually talking about sort of the trends um, and telling, you know, these really, really cool stories about interesting people um, and interesting business owners and small business owners, entrepreneurs. So that sort of was my entry into the door, into getting my foot into the door was really just, you know, actually doing what I loved. I will say um, the way I was able to convert sort of being going from being an expert where they just invite you to be on to actually being more of a correspondent slash journalist um, was really me sort of pitching myself and pitching my own stories to different producers, to different editors um, about things that, you know, I thought were trending or things that I thought would be really interesting for their outlet um, or their show. And so really just putting myself out there and, and you know, really just taking a chance at it. And, um, you know, people started saying yes to, to the stories that I was pitching them, whether it be um, for editorial or whether it be for TV. And so, you know, looking and seeing what makes sense for the outlet, um, actually taking the time to build a relationship with a producer or an editor um, so that they actually respond to your email is really important. Um, and then just staying on top of, um, whatever you're saying, your subject matter, you're an expert in, um, being in a, sort of staying on top of that subject um, and being able to, you know, pitch the right stories that make sense for those type of outlets. Yeah. You know, I absolutely love that, Sherelle, because I'll, I'll say I, I made my first TV appearance last year. And I think one of the really great things is that when you're a journalist, oftentimes you're always behind a screen. And there are so many gifts and talents that so many journalists, including all of you women on this panel, have that now can be in front of a screen. And so it's really amazing to see how you were able to use your blog to actually promote yourself and that to the point that you are now the expert. And so I think one of the biggest takeaways from your story for a lot of those who are listening tonight is that you don't need a massive following. I think if I remember correctly, you have a, like a little over 30,000 followers on Instagram, which to me is still big, but it's not the hundreds of thousands of followers that people think you need to be successful. Um, but I love the intentionality you're talking about, about as far as pitching. For those who are probably just starting out and are trying to figure out how do I start pitching myself, you know, I might have a reel or I might have even just my social media channels. So where would you say they should first start as far as finding the correct contact when they want to pitch themselves? So, so the first thing I would say is, yeah, I know you brought up the 30,000 followers um, and I do have that. I'm super excited, but I want you guys to know that when I started, I had zero followers and I think up until about, you know, a year ago, I had 5,000 followers. So like it has been like slow going and then really accelerating as more and more people sort of have learned sort of what I cover. So do not like hear 30,000 and think, oh my God, you know, it takes, no, start, start now. Don't wait until you have your followers. If you've got something to say, a good story to tell, like, don't wait until you have a ton of people following you, just pitch your story. Um, as far as finding editors, um, there are, and, and sort of producers, there are a number of paid services um, that you can buy into. So one decision, um, and uh, it's so basically it's a database of reporters and journalists and producers that you can look up their email addresses so that you can pitch them, but it's a paid service and it costs money. Um, so you may not have that to start out with. So what I always recommend is start out with Facebook groups. So there's a number of editor Facebook groups, um, who you know, PR czars, um, uh, there's a, a few of them and I'll, uh, I'll actually post a link on a story of a couple other ones. You guys can, can go there and sort of see some of the other ones that I am still a part of, even though I can have, I can pay for access decision now. Um, but that's a good way to start as well. Go to networking group, groups, um, PRSA, NABJ, um, go to networking groups and try to meet with different reporters. And, you know, I think a lot of people get, you know, worried, oh, if I meet a reporter and they are covered 
finance, um, and I'm not a finance expert or journalist or, or TV host, um, you know, they're not a good contact for me. Well, you never know who they know. Um, so, you know, go out to different events, try to meet people and try to make those contacts um, so that at the very least, like, if you get in good with this particular finance expert or finance reporter, maybe they can recommend you to the lifestyle person if that's, you know, what you're interested in. So, like, this, you know, take a contact, um, make a good contact, build a good relationship, um, and then see so you can actually build out your network. I love that. So many wonderful tips. And you talking about how you just had 5,000 last year. So the social media masterclass is coming real soon from you. I, I, I speak, I'm speaking into existence now. <laughs> I mean, just do what you love and keep doing it. Be honest and be you is, is what I will say. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So speaking of being you, Marjan, from the moment I met you years ago, we were sitting actually in a, in a hair shop, you guys, and I met her under the dryer and I was like, oh my God, you're Marjan Carlos. She was like, I am. And I was like, and it's just been a love affair ever since. You've always been unapologetically yourself. And I love that you've been able to bring that identity to all of these amazing publications that you've written for. You've written a lot of big pieces for large publications. And I would love to know sort of your process. How do you prepare for big cover stories, interviewing different celebrities? You know, what is sort of your training process as as you prepare to do those interviews? Um, well, thank you for that intro. I do remember when we met, <laughs> getting our hair did. Um, I think that, you know, what's interesting about preparing for um, these big interviews is a few things. You know, I, I kind of feel like I came to journalism kind of through the side door. I didn't go to Chase school. I was in academia before. Um, and I was just like everybody else was trying to find a byline and just trying to learn on the job and like on the go. So I didn't necessarily know like what it all took to, to do a cover story. So I just really learned my process as I went along. Um, a cover story obviously is like a really you know, huge opportunity and you don't want to get it wrong. Um, and so what I've done is just kind of like cherry pick from, you know, from different scenarios. I've read a lot about how to interview, how to like prepare for something like this. And I think the best way, and I've realized is just to read everything that you can possibly about the subject, watch mm -hmm. every movie, listen to every album, you know, just get yourself immersed in their world, mm -hmm. go on their social media. You're basically just kind of like stalking this person for really, you know, long time before you get to actually interview them. I get my questions prepared. Obviously, I, I know now that like interviews just are not um, linear. They have like a circuitous way. They're organic. They should flow. The, if the person takes you somewhere, just follow them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, allow people to speak. Allow people like listen to what they're saying. Um, you know, figure out what they enjoy talking about and then disarm them because a lot of people, especially celebrities, are very cagey mm -hmm. and they don't really want to talk about them, you know, themselves, they, a lot of times they just want to put out a press release and you're like, no, I kind of have to dig into your psychosis right now. So, um, you know, you just have to make sure that they feel comfortable enough with you. Um, make sure that like you get in good with a lot of their publicists, like they run so much of, of what we do. We, I think we all on this panel know that, um, it can be a contentious relationship, but it could, I feel like also ultimately it's a partnership. We, we, both want this article to come out well. So let's all just like work together as a team, make sure you get enough time with the person and, and allow yourself the opportunity to ask follow-up questions if you feel like you didn't get everything. Mm -hmm. And then I think also the biggest lesson that I've learned though about 
preparing for cover stories and things like that is really just to like learn to trust your own voice mm -hmm. and let go of particular ideas of what you're supposed to sound like. I think for a very long time, I thought I was supposed to sound like a white male journalist when I was writing a cover story and then the, and like sound very stuffy and like and and uptight and very 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 highbrow that's fine and and I read stories like that and that's wonderful and I enjoy them just as much but I think the publication hired me for a reason because they want my voice so I've been able to really kind of make sure that I'm infusing who I am into this to this article what do I want to read ultimately mm -hmm. um and so that's how I've been trying to move forward from from this point forward so. I love that. I mean, yeah. one of the best pieces of advice I was given early in my career was just let the subject talk and the story will reveal itself. And yeah. um, I have always tried to lean into that as much as possible. And I think especially to your point, when you have someone who might be a little bit more timid to share their story and they've been super media prepped and just are smiling, want to talk about all their projects. It's really about you presenting yourself as like a, a trusted source and a person yeah. who they can lean on. Um, but I would love to know, Marjan, that, you know, you have in, you have held very important roles in very white spaces and you advocating for black voices in that has, I'm sure has not always been easy. So, you know, I would love to know what, what are sort of your tips for like people who are just entering into, into journalism, maybe are like, you know, um, like an editorial assistant or maybe an associate editor. And they're kind of finding that they, that they might be the only one, right, in these rooms or that they're advocating for these spaces. Like, what would what would be your advice for them? I mean, I that's such a large question. I, I kind of battle with that myself still. I think imposter syndrome is real. And um, I feel like we can all succumb to it and think that we're not you know, we shouldn't be here, but you got the job for a reason. So make sure that you know that you're supposed to be there. Um, you know, I was someone who, who wasn't necessarily afraid to take up space or to, to say what I wanted to say. And you have to understand that that could also put you in a position that, that you know, you're uncomfortable or you get called out or it could go certain types of ways. So you just kind of have to pick and choose your battles. Like, what what hill you're going to die on necessarily like what's really important to you um and i don't know just use your platform to like create the content that you want to read and that you think is really important these these roles are so difficult because i i think that fundamentally the structure of a lot of mastheads don't have us in mind and mm -hmm. so it's very difficult to like walk in someplace and think that you alone are gonna like disrupt the system <laughs> right. you know you're, and you're really just supposed to be there to be writing articles you know and like getting through the day so um that's a lot that's just a lot of responsibility i don't know i'm still kind of working out that that question myself yeah you know? Well, you know, I think it's something that so many journalists of color, Black journalists in particular, we face. I remember years ago, I wrote an article on Business of Fashion about why Black beauty editors work twice as hard as their white peers. Mm -hmm. And it was overall very well received in the industry, some backlash, 
which is normal, but it really was talking about this invisible labor and this double consciousness that we carry as journalists, right? We want to do right by our subjects. We want to make sure when we're covering the Met Gala that we're covering all the people that some of the bigger publications may not cover. It's not just the same white women or white men walking down, you know? So it's, it's, it's always a battle. But one thing I will definitely say is just even looking at this amazing panel, all of us have something outside of our day jobs, right? Or outside of our nine to five. And so I always think that those are great outlets as well to explore. If you perhaps are getting some pushback in your nine to five, continue to build your own thing. And who knows, your own thing might be your main thing real, real soon. So speaking of uh, Red Carpet and the Met Gala, as many of you guys know, the first Monday in May just happened and we saw a lot of celebrities walking down the uh, the uh, red carpet that is at the Met Gala Museum. Um, we can talk a little bit about what the style was and what it was giving a little later, but uh, all of us have in one way or another covered red carpet and the looks. Ladies, I want to know some of your tips on how do you get ready for a red carpet event? And feel free to answer this as talent or as a reporter, uh, either way. I want to know, and this is open to anyone on the panel. <laughs> My first tip would say, just stay hydrated because it's going to be a long day and wear and bring flats. <laughs> That's <be> my tips. <laughs> Yeah. No, for me, wear flats clearly. Definitely. Um, also wear something you love that is also comfortable. Like, uh, cause usually you're going to be, especially if you're uh, covering, you're going to be on that carpet for a long time. You arrive, you know, four hours before the event starts sometimes. Um, and you're crammed in like sardines. So, um, you definitely want to be cute, but comfortable. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I have this kind of a scary story about that. Um, <laughs> I went to the MTV VMA Awards in 2016 and I was representing Vogue and um, I wore like a whole ensemble, you know, like I wanted to look great. I wanted to, to, you know, fit the mood of the evening and I wore these crazy stacked heels. They were like this, this tall, crazy. And as you know, like you just said, you you're standing there for hours waiting for people to come by so you can interview them. And I just didn't really anticipate all that. I, that's such a rookie move. And the next day, my knee like swelled up to like, it, it was crazy. I could barely walk. I had, unbeknownst to me, I had a cyst in my knee and it burst. And I was out, I was like laid out for a week. Yeah. So it, it, like, you're, you're absolutely <laughs> Correct. You need to wear shoes. Like if you're working the red carpet, you need to wear shoes that actually you can walk in and are actually comfortable. And I learned my lesson from that. <laughs> I traumatized you, but yeah, I had to. I had to go to ER. I, I like I couldn't. I couldn't even walk. It was crazy. Oh my goodness. Oh. Well, that has taught us all, guys. Do not wear the platforms. Do not. Just wear um, comfortable shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, one other thing I was thinking of is uh, when you have press credentials, especially if there's something that's been sent to you by email, make sure you take a screenshot, save them on your phone, because I have been in many situations where the Wi-Fi goes out, there's a whole lot of people and the connection is not good. And you're standing at the door and the bouncer's looking at you and you looking at him and you're trying to figure out what's going on. So whenever you can just pre-prepare as much as possible, make sure you have everything in a way that is easy to reach. If, even if that means you have to print out things, I know it seems a little old school, but I loved a good print out. I love a good notebook and pen. Um, and just make sure you have as many resources as possible. Any other tips you guys can think of? 
don't blow the bank trying to, you know, keep up with the celebrities who get their hair and their makeup and their wardrobe for free. Like, don't try to break the bank. Like, you know, do your makeup yourself, like wear something cute and comfortable, but like, don't try to keep up with the Joneses. YouTube University is free for now, you know, (laughs) watch a whole lot of you tutorials, man. All right, cool. So Chelsea, let's talk. What's things, what's one thing you wish you had learned in school before starting your career? I have a lot of answers for that question. Taxes is one of them, but more importantly, what do you think, you, what, what do you wish you had learned in school before jumping into your career? Um, for me, it was more so having like faith in my writing because, mm-hmm. you know, going to J school, like you have time to edit, re-edit, edit again, re-edit, you know, go back to the drawing board. But when you're working, especially like a digital focused job, everything is so fast paced. So you have to have faith in your writing from the get go. You can't second guess yourself. And as an assistant, I started out like always second guessing. And like my, my top editors would always be like, it's fine. Like, it's great. Like you don't have to be Shakespeare on every single article. Just make sure that you're hitting those key facts and that every like everything's grammatically correct, of course, and press send on it. It's fine. So I would definitely say like just having faith in your work from the beginning, like that will save you a whole lot of time and like imposter syndrome moving forward whenever you do have an opportunity to work for like a big time brand or magazine. Yeah, I love that. It goes back to sort of what Marjan was saying about like, you know, a publication hires you for a reason, right? right. And it, even though it's it's very easy, I think sometimes for us to want to assimilate for acceptance purposes or just to fit in, you are unique in the way that you stand in this world and your voice. And so uh, it's really important for you to lean into that. But I also really do believe that even when you're scared, just do it scared, right? Like imposter syndrome is one of those really nasty beasts that sometimes doesn't go away. You think, oh, I I get the good paying job, it's going to go away and it doesn't. And then you get the good job at the big company and it doesn't. And then you hit 30 and you're like, I'm a woman woman now. And you're like, it don't go away. So it's it's one of those things, right? Where you just have to, you have to do it scared. What lady of any of the other ladies on the panel, what do you guys think? I think that's a good point. I mean, you know, what Chelsea was bringing up was just trusting your voice because you're absolutely correct. Like digital media moves so quickly. And when you have to write like multiple articles a day for a publication, you really can't make sh- like, you can't be hemming and hawing over everything. It has to go off to like your editor and like, you know, some things are just not masterpieces. Some things are just like SEO and like, you've got to just deal with it and get the job done. So I, I definitely feel like I, I should have given myself a bit more grace when I was younger as well. I, I really like appreciate that lesson. Um, also, I feel like everybody's kind of faking it. So that's also something to keep in mind. I mean, not everyone you like feels as if they're the top of their game. They might be faking it too, you know, mm-hmm. just like yeah. the great Rihanna said. It's so it's, it's, mm-hmm. you can just kind of do it like that. And then, then I, I think also like finding a mentor would be probably a really good piece of advice too, for young journalists. Ooh. I would have given myself. Yeah. I love that. We don't talk enough about mentors and sponsors enough. Yeah. And the importance and how how amazing those are to your career, but also just empowering you to understand that you are exactly where you need to be, where you are, but there are others who can help you along the way. Um, does anyone else have anything they want to add to that in particular about mentors and sponsors? Do you guys have mentors and sponsors um, or anything? 
Um, I was going to add to that and say it's very important to have mentors, and I do have some really great mentors that I confide in, but I will say starting out, I got the best advice um, from a mentor, um, Kalana Barfield, and she let me know, like, you know, with you starting out, you literally need to, um, of course, reach out to someone um, who's of a senior level, but network across, you know, because at some point, like, you know, it's a senior level, they're going to move on to something else. And it's like, you're going to be working with your peers. So it's like, you really want to like, lean on your peers as because you guys are going through the journey together. So it's Mm -hmm. like, sometimes I kind of feel like, you know, we kind of get that, like that mindset when we get into the industry, like I have to like network up, network up. Yes, network up organically, but also network across because those are the people that you're going to be working with as years to come, you know? I love that, Chelsea, because Issa Rae, I think, also has mentioned about that, like how she's built insecure and how she networks laterally and the importance Mm -hmm. of that. I think it's so important too, because to your point, the people who you start out with in the industry, those who stay stay around as long as you do, you know, those might be your employers one day. Those might be the editors who can give you the bylines or the people who can put you on different projects. But also that just goes to show why it's so important to be good to people. Because a lot of people exactly. will be real, um, a lot of people will get real cute real quick <laughs> and then wondering why 10, 15 years later, this woman doesn't want to say hi to you at a press conference. It's because you called her nasty 20 years ago. You know what I'm saying? So I love it. <laughs> Caitlin, um, I am so interested in, in you and your topics because you are intersecting two things that to some might be very, very separate. You're talking about fashion, but you're also talking about pets as a journalist. I want to know sort of how do you combine these two things that are seemingly not related or do you keep them separate? And sort of how would you sort of give advice to another journalist who might want to pursue two different things, but they don't really know how to intersect them? That's a great question. Um, Before I touch on that, I just want to go back to the previous discussion about like what I wish I had known earlier. Definitely 100% on making those lateral connections. You need a group to commiserate with now and that you can celebrate in your downline as y'all as y'all's careers grow. But something I think isn't that we overlook is the business of journalism itself, especially if you're a freelancer or a sole proprietor, you know, get that mentor or get your network together and really learn, you know, how to keep the books on your freelancing career. Um, Because nobody wants to get tripped up during tax time or, you know, later on in the year when you have, you know, an important story you want to cover and you just don't have the finances to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and learning to di- diversify your portfolio and don't be afraid of, you know, content work if you need to be able to pay those bills. So, so definitely learn the ins and outs of your tax situation. It's going to save you in your career. We could, we could have an entire conversation, Caitlin, about money, <laughs> <laughs> rates, how to charge them, what you got to put away on the side. Oh my goodness. Okay. We're going to have to have a part two. Okay. You guys to drop in the comments, if you want a part two, because I think I need it for myself, but anywho, go ahead, Caitlin. <laughs> uh, yeah. So about my, my beats. So I said earlier that I joined Wirecutter as a pet staff writer. Um, and they really liked the work that I was doing. And I started to branch out into other verticals on the site and including, um, before we had a style vertical, I would, you know, touch touch into there a bit and then they decided hey 
you know what, this is going somewhere. So we decided to, to form an official style vertical and I joined that as well. Mm-hmm. But basically for me, how I really got started is I'm a self-taught seamstress. I don't really consider myself a designer anymore because it's, it's been decades. Um, but I'm very familiar with the way clothing should fit and feel and flow. So I take that into my work and everything that I do. I, I understand that style touches every aspect of consumerism, including our pets and the type of coverage that I do. So like, that's why we got designer sunglasses for your dogs, millennial pink pet carriers, and like these weird wonky mid-century modern pieces well, of cat drag me, Caitlin, drag me. I have a pet carrier over there. My goodness. Hey. <laughs> You know, is it a space backpack? <laughs> we'll talk offline. <laughs> okay. But, but seriously, so in addition to covering like traditional style and pet coverage, like the next, like my favorite little black dress, um, I really pay attention to how a product looks and what its influences were. Because everything we saw this week at the Met Gala, it's going to have a trickle down effect mm-hmm. into every piece of technology every shoe you buy from three years from now Mm -hmm. so I like to pay attention to that when it comes to the colors the lines materials um the stitch quality just everything Um, so so that's really kind of how I mold those two together and sometimes I intersect in those ways but other times you know they can be completely separate like right now I've got six pet cameras next to me because I'm testing pet cameras but I'm also you know, trying out Moomoo's right now to see how they feel and fit. Um, so if you're interested in pursuing completely different topic areas, you know, go for it. Honestly, it just shows your versatility. There's a secret. You can call yourself a lifestyle journalist and it'll encompass all of this. All right. Mm-hmm. So don't feel afraid to kind of branch out and experiment with different subbeats to kind of find your voice and find what you're passionate about. And then from there, you know, you can really start to build your brand. I love that. I love that. And you're absolutely right about the lifestyle category. Put lifestyle on it, the sky's the limit, right? (laughs) Well, speaking about lifestyle topics, Sherelle, I'm really interested to find out from you, if you ever get pushback on pitches that you might send to producers, um, if you have ideas that you've published on your blog that you're like, you know what, I think this would be really great as a, as a TV um, on-air piece. Do you ever have to sort of t- craft or like take feedback and like retailer your pitch? Or is it sort of those things that like, once you get a pitch, it's like a yes or no, and that's it? So I would say it's, it's both of those things. Um, you know, sometimes it's re tweaking a pitch, um, recrafting it, making it fit for that particular producer. Um, sometimes it is, you know, a yes or no. Um, and then you're just like, all right, this was a, a, uh, in the moment type of, of sort of pitch. Um, you know, I, I want to cover uh, ways to duplicate looks from the Met Gala at an, you know, at an affordable rate. There's a window for that. So if I can't get a producer to say yes to that, you know, within a week of like the gala happening, then like, it's kind of like I move on to something else. Um, and so like you, you, what I will say about both of those situations though, is you um, can't, treat your ideas like your baby. Like you can't be um, so tied to them that you're not flexible. Um, And you can't be so, um, you can't, you have to be very thick skin um, so that, you know, when you do get those no's that you just 
come up with a different idea. You dust yourself off. You know, it's not about you. This is just, this doesn't work for this editor or this producer, um, or it might work at a different time. So maybe you wait, um, you know, six months um, and come back to them with, you know, a similar idea, just tweak a little bit. Um, I actually had a situation very recently. I had uh, one of my producers tell me, you know, four times, four times on a story. And I, I just like, I just knew this concept was right for them. This segment was right for them. Um, and I pitched it four times. And uh, within, I would say the last one that we shoot this, we shot it about two months ago. Um, we shot a segment two months ago um, and uh, it was so awesome that the producer wants to make it a recurring um, segment for me. Um, and so exactly but like four times I pitched this to them I was like I think this will be a great fit for you the audience I think they would really love this it's super positive I'm not telling you what it is because I don't want you to know who who told me no four times um but (laughs) but um literally I was like I know this is right I'm just gonna you know come back to them do a couple of other segments for them you know let them see who I am let them see that I deliver um do some things for them like you know when they want to assign me a story that like I'm just kind of like I'll do it just to okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do a favor for you this time. Um, and finally, I was able to land that particular pitch. And so, you know, sometimes a no just means not right now. Um, you know, a no just means, you know, we have to wait for the right time when either they're ready to receive it or where they think like they will be able to sell it. Because keep in mind, producers I work with, like they've got a boss too. Um, and so, you know, sometimes it can be them waiting for the right time to, to get a yes. Um, so, so know that it's not about you, but you have to have thick skin and um, you have to sometimes rework things and not be tied to, to your, your idea, like I said. And, um, and sometimes it's just, you know, you, you come back around in, in six months, a year, maybe even two years later. I love that. I mean, I think that that is such a important lesson, first of all, about just being a journalist, but also just working in this industry. You're going to get a lot of no's, you're going to get a lot of rejections, but also you need to know how to be resilient in the face of that. And to your point, sometimes it's not always going to just be an immediate yes, but it might just be a not now. And who knows, maybe that person moves out of their role and you get a different editor and that editor wants to try different things and projects. And now you have the space to explore. So I love that lesson. I think it's so important for people to develop that thick skin that you mentioned. And really just, if you believe in this project, keep going at it until like, there's nothing else to go at. Uh, I love it. So one of the other things that we do a lot as fashion journalists is cover fashion week. Oh, you guys, how do you all juggle fashion week and meet your deadlines and figure out what shows to support or how to do it? I know when I first covered my first few seasons, I was going to like 10, 15, 20, 30 shows. It was way too much. It was not sustainable. I think I got sick every season. (laughs) Uh, My feet were bleeding because I was standing in standing room only and I was wearing heels. We were, we were doing the Marjan and we were not, we were not wearing the sneakers. So I would love to know sort of uh, for you all, what have been some of the biggest lessons that you've taken away from handling or uh, covering fashion week? And what would be some advice that you would give to those who, you know, maybe covering fashion week for the first time in September or, you know, in the near future? So I would say, you know, I, I covered a couple of fashion weeks. Um, and I would say, like, like you said, like, uh, you don't want to spread yourself too thin. Like you don't want to say yes to every show because one, that doesn't give you time to actually write your story um, because you're going from show to show to show and you're just going to burn yourself out. I think also be intentional 
about sort of, you know, you know, I feel like, like you guys said earlier, the story reveals itself to you. Um, and so sometimes you just have to watch and, and be willing to take in, but be intentional about sort of what you're looking to uh, sort of share that's going to be new or different. Um, everyone knows there's new clothes. Everyone knows, you know, this is for, you know, next season. Um, but why are you looking to cover um, these shows? Like, what are you going to bring that's a little different um, to your coverage, to your story, to your reader, to your viewer? Um, so, you know, be intentional about that set your your intention before you even go to the shows and that that'll help you sort of select which um shows to say yes to and which shows to say no to i think that took me maybe two or three seasons to figure out um, i need to have an intention before i say yes uh, of what i'm hoping to, to share that's different and then these sort of stories will start revealing themselves i agree i agree yeah for sure it's all about serving the viewer especially at Wirecutter. i'm i'm less beholden to Fashion Week itself, but I'm constantly receiving pitches about new product lines and, you know, the next seasonal line for um, a brand. So it, it's kind of hard to attend all of that stuff, even when it's not in a single week. Mm -hmm. And you just really have to really think about, okay, are they offering something that's going to be of value to my, to my readers? You know, is this something that they're just going to, is it a one and done? Or are they testing it out to see if it'll work? Because sometimes like a lot of these things, they sell out within like a day or two. So there's, there's not a lot of momentum when it comes to covering it, because by the time we're able to share it, it's just not going to be beneficial to anybody um, who reads our site in general. Totally. So when it comes, when it comes to like sending that intentionality, I kind of look back on what we've covered in the past and think about, okay, how can we make sure this benefits our readers in the future? And then kind of, you know, develop that game plan. I love my lists. I love calendars to try to figure out how I can like slot in the, the most valuable assets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we have been receiving a lot of questions in the chat. I'm glad I scared you guys because I was like, look, we need some questions for the ladies. So we're going to hop into Q&A. What are your thoughts on edit tests? They're a waste of time. <laughs> Thank you, my worst. Look, I started sweating just thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, no, absolutely not. I don't know if that's like a thing of where you are in your career. Maybe if you're a bit more senior, I think you can kind of leverage that and more and just be like, mm, opt out of that. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe if you're just coming in as like an editorial assistant, but I feel like they don't even really kind of have that like junior they don't ask that of junior um applicants i think that's like more of a senior thing i just think that that's kind of i don't know it's outdated mm -hmm. and i'd rather like i don't even know i i'd rather let my work speak for itself you called me in for a reason i'd rather us have like a larger sweeping conversation around like vision mm -hmm. rather than me like come up with a bunch of articles ideas which essentially you could take and run with and never and never hire me so i think they're a waste of time honestly <laughs> truly <laughs> i was gonna say that that does happen i've heard of that happening where people do edit tests and the next thing you know their story idea um is on the the company's website and they have not been hired for, for it's happened it's yeah. happened yeah i've yeah. I've, yeah. It's, I've been a victim and now we sign ndas because <laughs> <And now, laughs> no we can't do that um okay this one actually is um 
I want to target this one to Marjan because you were talking about prepping, especially for celebrities. Uh, this person asks, how do you get publicists to trust you when doing your, when doing cover stories? Some PR are very guarded um, and they kind of want to also figure out like, how do you kind of work with their clients? So how do you sort of get PR to trust the vision of where you're trying to take the story? That's a good question. I think that um, before... I go in to interview the subject, I'm like, okay, what do we want to get out of the story? Like, wh what do we want to talk about? Do we want to talk about controversy? Do we want to talk about just like their upcoming projects? Like what, what ultimately do we want to do? Because I'm not a gotcha journalist. Mm -hmm. um, obviously I'm interested in provocative questions, but I'm not trying to like set someone up for failure or, you know, put anyone's feet to the, well, that's not true. I do put feet to the fire, but you know what I'm saying? I'm not like a, a tabloid, splashy, clout chasing, clickbaiting journalist. So I had that conversation with my editor. Then, you know, the publicist will let you know to the editor, they'll be like, my client's not gonna answer these questions. Like this is off the table, that's off the table. And then um, you can have a conversation with the publicist and just be like, yeah, you know, this piece is really just going to be about these things. That's what I'm really interested in. This is like the angle that I want to take it at. Um, and just like get on a call with them and just talk to them before you chat with the, the celebrity. Mm -hmm. I think that's always really good. And just for them to understand like, oh, this is someone we can trust. Um, and then afterwards, follow up with them. Just make sure that like it's a it's a partnership, as I said before, where it's like, oh, I need to make sure like confirm these details. This is coming out when? Okay, great, great, great. If there's a song that you want to like, this is a good example. I interviewed Cardi B prior to WAP coming out. I knew that a new song was coming out. I had to hear the song. Like I couldn't interview her for a cover story, and then the song comes, and then the cover story has no mention of song that didn't make any sense mm -hmm. so I had to like really I had a relationship previously with her publicist and she trusted me enough to play the song before it was released right and but it had to be done in like a you know a vault and 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 that is what it is but you know when you get that type of relationship you can get that type of access you just have to really kind of trust or really prove that you are trustworthy you yeah, know I yeah I love that I mean first of all WAP is you know, it's, it does, it deserves its place in the library of Congress. If you don't know what WAP stands for, we're not going to say it because my mother is watching this. Hi, mom. Um, but yes. Uh, but also to your point, it's so important for journalists to just do their due diligence. I will never forget when Nicki Minaj dragged the people on Breakfast Club because she was there talking about her new song and no one had listened to the song. And she was like, so why did you bring me here? What are we supposed to talk about? And so to your point, it's a partnership, but you are doing so much more than just writing something. You are cultivating this relationship and building that trust. So completely agree. Next question, which is equally as spicy. Sherelle and Chelsea, I want you guys to take this one. This person says, we set the cultural trends. Why do we often get less influence and credit? <laughs> well, <laughs> questions that need answers. <laughs> questions that need answers. <laughs> I listen. 
I think part of it is because, um, unfortunately, we're still not the ones that are the decision makers. Um, if we're being totally honest, um, you know, in the in the edit rooms, um, in the studios, unfortunately, um, I it's something that I have pushed against and 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 tried to you know do my my as much as I can um, with sort of the outlets I work for um, and, and freelance for. Um, but it's an uphill battle. It's it really is an uphill battle. Um, and, um, you know, going back to, you know, you, you keep pitching an idea and, and, and having thick skin and being really resilient um, and, and coming back to these things that, you know, would make a difference. Um, uh, it's important that you you do that. It's important that you sort of take the time to do that. It's important that once you do build a platform and you do build relationships with, you know, the producers um, and the editors um, and they trust you, um, that you use some of your credibility to, to open the door, um, maybe for someone who's an up and comer. Um, you know, uh, like for me, that means like whenever I get an opportunity to cover a fashion story, I'm very deliberate about making sure that we include a black owned brand. Um, in my segments like that is that is very very important to me um, you know to include a brand that you know would not get this shine but is is doing the trend um, is setting the trend a lot of times um, so you know you you try to use your influence where you can you try to use your platform where you can to sort of open those doors for others but like again it's because you know I think even though we are the ones setting the trends um, uh, and sort of creating the culture I think um, there is still that 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 the gatekeepers who we have to convince um uh that you know it, it's worthy of us covering and giving credit where credit is due i agree and to piggyback off of what you just said Cheryl, yes so like with seo stories i'm very very intentional about adding in um black owned businesses or hispanic owned businesses even if they're not an affiliate and i know that like a lot of brands are very heavy on like the affiliate links and it's like once i reach that threshold of how much like the percentage of how many affiliate links we should be linking I make sure to put in like diversify the um you know diverse like diversify the shopping story so that I'm giving shine to someone like you said that is probably setting the trend to begin with but they're just not getting any shine they're just getting overlooked mm -hmm. I love that I mean I think uh, Caitlin mentioned this earlier about the business of journalism. The reality is if you work for some, another publication, you are tied to business goals, right? KPIs that you have to hit. A lot of them usually are traffic goals or they could be revenue goals. And so um, one of the things I always love to take as, an, as a commerce editor previously was like one for you, one for me. So to your point, Chelsea, like, you know, I might do the roundup, the Amazon roundup, care about them things go on and buy them things over at amazon but then this next piece is going to be you know here are the brands that you need to know and you know because we are on the ground and we're talking to these we knew who christopher john rogers was before everybody knew who christopher john rogers was i was rocking a telfy before telfy was telfy you know what i'm saying like so you know it's so important i think that uh, one thing that all, you both have also kind of highlighted is the importance of giving back and also using your, your power and your privilege wherever you are at in your career to create more space for others, um, especially as we continue to build up and eventually become those gatekeepers, hopefully ourselves. Uh, Caitlin, this one is for you. Um, this person asks, uh, how long did it take to find your interest in journalism? And uh, I have many interests and I'm having a really hard time at niching down. I mean, I'm a classic poster child where I was on the newspaper staff in grade school, okay? 
so it's it's been with me always. It's something that it I've was always in the enjoyed. Stars. It was in yeah. the stars. <laughs> um, but again, when it comes to finding your niche, I wouldn't worry about it if you have like different interests you know playing to that art industry is always in so much turmoil don't limit yourself to one thing because Mm -hmm. before you know like that one thing could be on the chopping block you Mm -hmm. know next year so make sure that you diversify what you're covering if you go onto my website you will see like I've got my clips broken down into like six different topic areas it's like I, I don't care I just want you to know that I can do the work and that I'm somebody who can plug and play into you know whatever you need me to do mm-hmm. um, some people consider that more of like a generalist which is perfectly fine again that lifestyle umbrella that you can fall under and you can always tailor each application to a particular role so as long as you like have if you have like four or five different interests that's fine only send in the relevant clips for one position Mm -hmm. and have an anecdote that's relevant to that role and you can always adjust and go you know as you move along in your career we can always reinvent your reinvent ourselves you know it came up in the chat you know why are we always starting trends but we're not getting the credit start Mm -hmm. the trend with what you want to do in your career it's perfectly fine I love that. And I think also you affirming that, you know, you have had success even as a generalist or under the lifestyle category is good because I think years ago, everyone was telling you niche down, niche down, pick one thing and be really hyper-focused on it. And now to your point, look, uh, you know, we go on where the money reside. So wherever it's residing, that's where we're going to go. And it's like this, we're multifaceted as black women, we're multifaceted as a people. So we should cover multifaceted topics. We're not just one thing. So I love that advice, Caitlin. So I want to actually throw this over to Sherelle. This person asks, how do you build a good relationship with a producer? So let's say, for instance, you've already reached out to them. How do you how would you recommend staying on their radar? Should you be checking in weekly? Should you be sending monthly? You know, should you meet up for coffee? What would be your tips? So I, so before you even, you know, think about the follow-up, think about your initial pitch um, and your, your initial reach out um, and make sure that you are sending them something that is clearly relevant to their show um, and, and something that they would be responsible for. Don't send a finance producer a pitch on fashion. Um, you know, make sure you know who you're reaching out to. So do your homework. So I would say start with that because, you know, you can't take back that first intro. Like you just can't. Um, but I think as far as, uh, as following up with them, I think it's fine to follow up, you know, maybe once a month, once every other month. Um, just to say, hey, I, uh, because most likely they're not going to respond to you that first time, especially if they don't know you. <laughs> um, so if they don't know you and you don't have a, another contact there that you can ask to introduce you to them, then I think like every other month, it's okay to send a note um, spot on though of, of, hey, I noticed these, like for me, I noticed these trends in the market and I know you haven't, your show hasn't covered this. And here's how I think this would be really unique for this particular show. I think it would be, you know, as, as, as special for your audience. Um, and it'd be very specific in that way but my thing is like I try not to send a producer that I don't know more than three emails like that's just my rule um if I once I get to that third email I haven't heard back I assume that they're not interested again at this time and maybe I can meet them in a different way 
Uh, maybe I can meet them at an event. Maybe I can find someone through LinkedIn who has a who's a second or third contact, um, and I can sort of get introduced that way. Um, you don't want to just keep hitting them up um, when I, I think after the third again after the third email, they're they're probably not interested or they're so busy they didn't see it, and then you sending them more emails is not going to change how many other emails they have to go through um, in their inbox because they're because they're getting hundreds of them a day. So my rule is like sort of a three email again, maybe every other month that you that you're following going up. Um, but then after that, I try to meet them in different ways. So I, I'll go to a networking event, I'll check my LinkedIn to see, um, you know, who I might have a contact with or connection with. I'll look um, on Instagram um, and maybe see if what they're following um, to see if maybe I follow the same, some of the, some of the same people. It's a really great resource, just so you know, and Instagram is free. Um, so to see if I follow some of the same people um, who may know them. So I'll try to go it at, at different angles. So try to come in in a, in a different um, way. So if I can't get through the door, I come in through the window. Um, I will say that um, sort of works for me, but you don't want to pester them uh, as well. So look for a different angle or look for a different contact, look for a different producer. Like maybe I can't get so-and-so, but I've tried you three times. So let me try a different producer, um, you know, who is also covering that, that beat. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that always goes back to your previous topic about resiliency and just finding different ways. I mean, uh, as many of you probably know, I run fashion and beauty creators at LinkedIn. And so I definitely will also say that LinkedIn is a wonderful place. Even if you're trying to figure out, well, who is the person, who's the producer at this show, or who is the influencer manager at this company? Use your search engine tools, use your Instagram, your LinkedIn, your Twitter, even your Facebook to find these people and, and make those outreaches. And so I love that, Sherelle. So I know we are almost at time, but I really want to ask this last question because I want to personally know as well. This person is, and this is for everyone, um, who or what is currently inspiring you within the fashion industry? Um, he's a rapper, but I love Gunna's style. Yeah. <laughs> And like, and I love his style only because like, he just, he's just himself. Like he literally just, he's not afraid to put on whatever it is that he wants to put on and go out, even if he gets backlash, which he does get a lot of backlash for some of the things that he chooses to wear. But I, I, I like it. I, I like it. it. Honestly, it's bravery to me. <laughs> I mean, he pushing P. He even said it. Yeah. <laughs> he's gonna is gonna. Yes. I'm personally really inspired by Rihanna's maternity wear. I think it's just such a culture reset. And I definitely think that it's coming at a really interesting time because there's so much going on around the women, woman's body. Mm -hmm. And we're so we're gonna really like there's gonna be a hyper focus on it. And it's really interesting and literally liberating to watch her rewrite that that storyline around maternity wear and what women can wear when they're expecting. Mm -hmm. and what they can do when they're expecting too because she's at concerts she's constantly producing she's she's living her life and I really really I'm really inspired by that me too I just kind of want her to, to stay pregnant what yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say she's not afraid to show her belly like I love right that. I mean you know it's it's gonna be very interesting like the if we're gonna see more crop tops because I was like I would do that like I think that's a really great thing it was wear a crop top like wear what you want to wear well I think also to your point you know even outside of maternity um women we're always policed about our bodies that if you don't have you know abs you shouldn't be wearing low crop tops and sometimes you'll feel super self-conscious and you know to see her with this beautiful proud big baby bump you know wearing the most tightest 
things, you know, showing her panty lines or whatever else. Like, you know, everyone has to find their own beat, but just to even reclaim her body and that power, I think is going to be such a, a movement for women's bodies and representation, Marjan. I just want her to stay pregnant forever, but I, I know I have to let it go. I know I have to let it go. That's funny. I was going to say Lizzo for a very similar reason with her Yiddy line. Um, it, it's like the, the shapewear line and her just redefining sort of who shapewear is for, what shapewear um, can mean to women. I um, mean, just taking that power back uh, for, for, you know, her, her incredible line and just being so positive about that and being just so like out there and, and just basically redefining um, the whole category. Um, and it's been very interesting because this is, this brand is in a partnership um, with uh Shoot, just went it right out of my head. Um, uh, ladies, who, who what's the um, the Kate Hudson line? Um, oh, Fabletics? yes, Fabletics. It's, it's in the partnership with Fabletics. Um, and so just like really introducing that brand to an entire new audience as well. Um, and you know, a lot of people don't realize that that's in partnership with them, but I, I, I have been highly impressed with um, everything Elizabeth has done, but um, this as this especially because I think um, the sales for that is, is, is really, really doing really, really well. It is. And it's also not like the bodysuits you saw years ago, which were all neutrals. Nope. You nope. hide them. Like they're bright, they're bold. They have all these cuts. It's beautiful. Like, yeah, they're not meant to be hidden. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a very new just sort of way for a shapewear to be and exist. And um, I'm very, very impressed. And it's very, really inspiring to see her redefine that category. I agree. Kate? I also like, yeah, I think she... Um, list the sizing in the opposite order, right? It goes from largest to smallest rather than smallest to largest. So it's very yes. intentional in that. Yeah. But, but y'all beat me to it completely. Like I was going to say body confidence for sure. I love it. It's, it's doing a smidge to make me feel better about myself. Um, I haven't gotten to that confidence level yet, but I, I just love it. I love that we're in this, this new era of transparency and putting yourself out there and less airbrushing and more being more um, size inclusive but also gender inclusive like you mentioned earlier gender fluid beauty like that is blowing up right now and I'm really excited to see where it's going to take us um, into like some new ways so I'm looking forward to it I agree I would say my answer probably is just this movement about the creator market it's something we talk about a lot at LinkedIn um, in my role, but just as a creator myself and as all of you as creators, it's just really kind of cool to see creators reclaiming their power. You know, years ago when we were all taking our first jobs, I think I was getting maybe 10 bucks a story and I thought, oh my God, I was making big money. Lord, and then rent was due. <laughs> and so now just to see how people are using TikTok and Instagram and LinkedIn and uh, launching newsletters and journalists, you know, going on Substack, I think there's just such a really interesting movement happening right now that is allowing people to own their power and not be subjugated to the rules of these bigger publications and companies. And so um, with that being said, I'm really, really excited for the state of uh, Black fashion and the, and the movement of Black fashion fashion journalists. Ladies, I want to thank each of you for your time tonight on Cinco de Mayo, nonetheless. Uh, before we hop, I would love for everyone to share where people can find you. Drop the handles. Uh, let us know. We'll start with Marjan. Sorry, my dog was crying. Um, at Marjan underscore Carlos and www.marjancarlos.com. And then my, you can check out my show at your favorite auntie show on Insta. 
I'm at I am Chelsea Hall on Instagram, Twitter, anywhere. It's all I am Chelsea Hall. Cool. Caitlin? For all of my socials, they're usually at Kate Wells or at Kate Wells 15. So just K-A-I-T Wells. Uh, I also have a newsletter where I follow how Black, Indigenous, and people of color, um, mostly women, navigate the world uh, in a just with all the nonsense we have to deal with. So if you're looking for some inspiration from some powerful people, take a look. Awesome. And then Sherelle? I add Sherelle Star on Instagram. So just my name and same with my website, SherelleStar.com. Um, so you can uh, follow me on Instagram or check out some of my work on my website. Awesome. And then for me, I am at the Blonde Misfit on Instagram and Twitter. I'm Jamee Jackson on LinkedIn. And you can check me out at www.jameejackson.com or www.theblondemisfit.com. Ladies, thank you so much. I hope everyone enjoyed tonight's panel. Please make sure that you guys share some love to all of the wonderful panelists. Thank you again to NYABJ, NYN. Oh, Lord, child, NYABJ for the amazing invite and for hosting us tonight. And thank you all so much for joining us. We hope you guys take care, stay blessed, stay beautiful, stay Black if you're Black. And, you know, we'll see you guys at the next panel. A special thanks to our moderator, Jamae Johnson, as well as our panelists, Caitlin Wells, Sherelle Starr, Marjan Carlos, and Chelsea Hall. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give The Sidebar a great review. A reminder that the opinions discussed on the podcast belong solely to the individuals and do not reflect the views of the New York Association of Black Journalists. For more information on NYABJ, please visit our website at www.nyabj.org. Music is by Holizna Raps.